Welcome to Season 5 of KnowledgeCast, hosted by Jack Williams. We're excited about this season's guest, and you can learn more about this new season along with our guest in previous seasons at jackwwilliams.com slash podcast. Now let's listen in to an all-new episode with Jack and this week's special guest. Well, welcome back to another episode of Knowledge Cast. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. And if you're one of our regulars, thanks again for, for joining us. Well, today we got an opportunity to speak with Lieutenant Paul Carruthers of the U.S. Navy. Paul is a 2020 uh, graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy, where he also was captain of the Navy football team. He is currently an information warfare officer based in Hawaii. Tough assignment. Uh, that's the highlighted bio, but in Paul's young life, He's had to overcome some pretty major challenges, and that's what we want to talk about today. So welcome, Paul, to KnowledgeCast. Aloha, Jack. Thanks for having me. Aloha. Well, I was fortunate enough to have Paul as a student in my Ideals Leadership Program several years ago, and he was offered the opportunity to attend the Naval Academy and, and play football there. And Paul, I want to, I want let's kind of put the football routine aside for a minute, but um I want you to share with us what a typical week is like as a student at the Naval Academy, because we know that your schedule is a lot different than, you know, a typical college or university. So kind of walk us through what a what a week would be like as a student there. Yeah, sure. So the whole point of the Naval Academy is to prepare you to be an unrestricted line officer in the Navy or Marine Corps. Um, so they try and simulate. Uh, any kind of actions during the week, right? Whereas a normal student would have uh, the freedoms to do what they please most times. So uh, we would have zero six, at least that's when I would wake up, um, excluding football and uh, zero 600, we would wake up, get dressed, brush teeth, do all those things. Zero 700, you would have morning quarters. Uh, and then you would go to classes, um, and most days those classes would be about 45 minutes. And um, it's a rather large campus, so you'd be walking around in dress shoes and uniforms um, that weren't entirely comfortable, um, and a cover that you might forget every so often. Uh, you got to run back and go get it. So um, starts with 0700, and then your classes start about four classes on a normal day. Uh, in the morning and then you would come back and do noon quarters or noon meal quarters and uh, then you would go down to lunch so quarters explain what explain what a quarters are to our group right so quarters is essentially a muster right uh, ensuring that everyone that's supposed to be in that space is there and accounted for and then they would go and actually execute lunch right and just like we would execute an operation or execute uh, a mission or a task that we would have. Um, and so the task was to eat food. Um, but essentially, it was just to have leadership within the midshipmen ranks, right? We would have our seniors um, who are called first class uh, and the second class um, have leadership roles and, and practice repetitions of uh, maintaining uh, full accountability of all personnel, because that's very important to us in the military. And then after noon meal, um, we would go to the next courses in the afternoon. Uh, ultimate, or 
in all, like in total, we have seven courses. Uh, at least all mission midshipmen would have that unless they are in a special, unique situation. And then finally, um, you would go, every midshipman has to have a physical activity. And so in the afternoon um, or early evening, they would have a physical activity that could be um, quite, a, quite a few things. It could be a club sport, it could be a varsity sport, um, but essentially you would need to get out and about and be active um, in any uh, interest you had. And then you, we had, uh, you know, study time, EI. So you have to go to extra instruction sometimes, but we would have, you know, easy, easily two to three hours of homework um, every other night, safe to say. Uh, and then sometimes a lot more. Uh, and so finally you have TAPS, um, which is where we sign and muster again that we are in the barracks and we are asleep or at least in our room. So that is a normal day, uh, basically, at a uh, Naval Academy or any academy, really. All right. Well, that's uh, obviously pretty tough regiment there. Well, we know how tough it is just being a student at the Naval Academy. Now, uh, let's factor in the equation of playing football at the major college level. So how did you go about integrating two pretty demanding components of your college life? And so how much time did football take? Yeah, so to add into that schedule, since everybody's already heard the schedule, for uh, uh, I would say a regular midshipman who may not be in a varsity sport, I would have a 04 or 04:30 wake up um, for a 0600 workout. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, a little bit later, depending on what the workout was, but. Earlier on, when you're a freshman there, you would wake up and go to a, a morning workout. Um, so you would kind of skip those quarters. But at 0600, you're in the gym and you're working out for an hour. And then uh, breakfast, you know, class, I think, started at, at around eight. So you're rushing to get a shower in, get your, your breakfast in, um, and then rush to class. Um, sweaty and prepared to learn right um and so for me the morning i actually enjoyed those morning workouts um so that that wasn't uh, too much of a time consumption but then where the difficult part came in is after you've gone through your courses then you're prepping for practice and competing and um i grew up loving football it was my passion um and it was something that i shared with my family so when you grow up and you share passions with people, you usually lean towards them, love them. They start to become more of your identity in some ways. Um, and in honestly, in some unhealthy ways, however, uh, I loved it. So I put everything I had, um, once my class ended around, um, 1530 or 330 PM, uh, in the afternoon, uh, I would put everything I had into prep preparing for a football practice um, at four four thirty in the afternoon, and then practice lasted two hours. We were two hours in, I would say, in total. You know, getting taped and getting out on the field, having like a few water breaks, stretching, 
um, we were fairly efficient because they knew we had quite a workload at the end of the day. But I put everything I had into those practices to earn a spot um, at the Naval Academy. And um, so once you go through practice and you put everything you have into it, uh, sometimes it's difficult to then put everything you have into your studies. And so uh, that's just the challenge, right? You got to you got to manage that. And then what you got to manage how much time you stay up and then go to go to bed. Right. You got to get your rest for the next day. Uh, where you have, again, a 0430 wake up or 0500 wake up in the morning and, you know, start back at it again. The schedule doesn't change. Um, it doesn't it doesn't alter too many times, um, at least when in your plebe year or your freshman year. Um, and then, you know, there are some freedoms, freedoms that you can gain later on uh, as you progress up you know, as you progress to a senior or a first class. But uh, essentially, it's the same thing for four years. Well, that's uh, it's pretty demanding, to say the least. Well, let's uh, let's move over to your uh, first major challenge that you had to deal with. One day you got a call that no family member wants to get. Tell us about that call and what happened. Right. It was November 18th. Um, 2016, when I was a freshman at the Naval Academy, a plebe is what we call it. Um, and as as a plebe, that's a pretty difficult year for anybody. It's a culture shock. Uh, there's a lot on your plate. But uh, I was doing pretty good because I had a lot of prep um, that I had already done before. But that day, I was in. I was coming from lunch can't remember you know if it was 11:30 ish or 12 but around that time i was heading back to class from from lunch and i was the first one there at class just like all by myself um, because i think we had uh, some some type of assessment and so i was in there to study a little bit earlier and i got a call from my mom and she is wailing. Um, and I would say that that part is, is scarring for me just because when you actually hear somebody cry and they, uh, it's uncontrollable. Um, that's pretty tough to hear. So I was in shock. I, I heard it and my heart sunk and I just wanted to help her. I didn't know what was going on. And then, um, she talked about how, um, you know, dad wasn't here, you know, and, um, she didn't know how, how to get it out really. Um, but she kind of explained a little bit of what happened from what they knew. And I was again in shock. I was sitting at, you know, an uncomfortable, in an uncomfortable seat and at a desk and, and everything just kind of, slowed down and and I kind of got up and and sat in the back on the floor I can remember sitting on the wall and I began uh I, I began to just stream tears and I don't remember exactly what I said but uh people started walking into the room as I was kind of I got up and walked out and I went to one of the auditoriums 
And um, I think at this point, mom and I had gotten off the phone. And I remember hearing, well, before that, one more thing is I heard my sister and that I think sent me over the edge of how she, she was, it was hard for her to get the words out and she was crying and she was like a junior or senior um, in high school. I think she was a junior in high school. And I know I felt for her because she was trying to take care of Connor. And then I felt really bad for Connor, my little brother, who at the time was nine years old, had probably no clue how to handle it. So I just a lot of emotions as I'm describing this that were, you know, just hitting me. And my dad was truly at the time, one of my best friends, um, person that I could talk to and seek wisdom from. And again, I shared football specifically with him. That passion was specifically with him. So I'm in the auditorium bawling my eyes out. Um, pretty distraught. But what was really cool was, uh, how the brotherhood came about. Um, and I don't know who gave the first notification that my dad had passed and been been killed, but it was quick. It was really quick, and I appreciated it. Uh, some my I think my uh, company officer, my football team, and the officers and liaisons that are there somehow got a notification, and then they sent like a football team wide, like, "Hey, find Paul," you know, and so. Uh, it's actually bringing me a little bit of uh, tears now, but yeah, it was just amazing how they all swarmed. And, you know, my buddy Nico was in my class, uh, my math class at the time. And uh, he was running around and I think I heard him looking for me, but I was pretty distraught. And then he found me in the auditorium and he came there and gave me a hug and sat down with me. And then a bunch of other dudes came and sat down with me. And then um, they walked me back to my spaces, right, in the barracks. Um, and, uh, or the dormitory. And so we went back up. They had a chaplain there for me, um, which is uh, a re religious, um, a religious uh, figure uh, in a way that helps support those in need, um, but not just religious. They can, they have the ability to just communicate uh, with anybody about any issue and be ears to listen. So it's a really nice uh, attribute that the military really uh, uh, invests in to, for our well-being. And so the chaplain was there, the company officer was there, um, one of my best friends, Ford Higgins, was there. Uh, and, you know, Ford and I had, Ford knew dad really well and had played with me in high school. So it just got up there, still distraught, I was still in tears. But I had those people around me um, and I was able to at least be loved and cared at that time. Um, so the hardest aspect of that moment, just to sum it all up for me, was... One day I had my dad and I felt he was going to be there forever. And then the next day uh, he was not there. So the, the, um, the quick realization and not really understanding death at all um, and not experiencing it at all, understanding that like going through questions of like what my dad's not here, like that's not true. And all these different thoughts that uh, pretty are, are gut-wrenching 
at the time and, and you deal with a lot of emotions all at one time. So that was, that was uh, really difficult at that time for sure. Paul's Paul's dad, I might mention was a U.S. Marshal and was, uh, was killed in action on a, on an arrest um, and was uh, a funeral. It was something I've never, I've never ever uh, experienced before. Uh, and he was, he was, was quite a man. And I remember catching you, uh, on the phone at the airport, uh, when I called you, you were on your way, uh, you were on your way home. So when you had, you know, that's, that's about the worst possible thing you can deal with. And you, you work through that. You got the demands of being a midshipman. You lost your dad, you're playing college football. Um, and then the Naval Academy tells you that you can't continue there because of, uh, of a health situation that you weren't even aware of. Explain what that was all about and how you had to deal with it. Right. I want to give the Naval Academy one quick credit is the teachers and the people and my leaders that were there. I mean, literally surrounded me and I wouldn't even have made it to the point where they were about to um, push me out the door if I had not passed some exams during Christmas or a little bit after Christmas, I believe. Um, but my teachers come in during that time, during Christmas, um, during Thanksgiving break to provide me with the tools to pass, you know, those examinations. So I still took exams after that, but it was, I had, I had, I would say about a month and a half, two months uh, of space to mourn and be with my family. Um, but those teachers surrounded me. Um, instructors surrounded me and leaders and pushed me to uh, continue on, as well as my father and mother, right, who uh, helped me grow up. So I just want to give some credit there. But yes, about the end of my sophomore year, I had uh, had an incident where I had to go to the ER. Um, it wasn't anything too crazy, um, but essentially... I have uh, eosinophilic esophagitis. It's a crazy word. But uh, with all that, it, it uh, is an allergy in my esophagus. So I had something impact inside my esophagus. And so I had to go get it taken out. I obviously had to tell the Naval Academy about that. And um, so once, that, once they had the notification that that had happened to me, uh, there was a process of kind of boarding me and see if I was still capable. If you remember in the beginning, I said unrestricted line officers, if you have medical issues, some serious medical issues um, that would disqualify you from fitting that mold uh, is their responsibility, uh, the medical team, as well as others at the Naval Academy to, to determine whether you are, are fit for service um, because we want people to deploy um, and if they can't deploy, it, it's hard to put the reason why they should be in the military. So anyways, um, I started to realize that this was getting serious because people were telling me to make um, plan B's and plan C's and, and apply to different colleges. And I was like, oh, I thought this would not be that big of a deal. I, I, I think I went to bed one night after I got the you know, I was like, oh, I, I went to the ER and went to bed. I was like, this isn't a big deal. Like, uh, I'll just come back, tell them. And 
uh, and it actually, you know, started to turn into a big deal for some people. So uh, it was a, you know, quick um, notification of what was happening, but then it turned into kind of a whirlwind of uncertainty during the summer. So I continued my training, whether that was football or military training in the summer, and I was getting notifications or emails, uh, go to this appointment, go to that appointment. And I am so thankful for the medical staff there at the Naval Academy. I really am. And the, the leaders I had there uh, because they were willing to sit down for hours. And I had so many questions um, in that situation because I wanted to stay there. Uh, so but but there were times uh, when I was talking with the Naval Academy staff that it was kind of like, hey, you could be out of here uh, within the week, right? You could be out of here soon. And I, that, was, that was another low point for me uh, because I had put so much of my identity into the Naval Academy. I put my identity in football. That's what made Paul Carruthers. I put my identity in the Naval Academy. That's what made Paul Carruthers. And then other relationships. Um, and thankfully, I've grown past that. But at the time, it just it shook me. Um, and so one encouraging thing is those leaders that I was talking about. I had a, uh, I had a colonel tell me uh, as a sophomore when I started this process, uh, he's like, I don't know much about what you're going through. I don't know much um, about how to approach your specific situation. But what I do know is that you are your biggest advocate, right? In any of these situations, you need to represent yourself um, as best you can. And I took that as an encouragement because he was like, you may not know what the medical team is looking at or the documents they are looking at to prove that you shouldn't be in the military, but you should read those documents. You know, you should um, understand why they're looking at it that way. And I did. I started to learn the ways that that they would be thinking. And so thanks to that encouragement, I, I started to, to become uh, a little bit of uh, an expert in, in how the medical system and medical boarding system work. Um, and so uh, at personally, though, I was just dealing with uncertainty, uncertainty, uncertainty of whether I would even play football or whether I would graduate it from the Naval Academy or all that stuff. And, and then another point of encouragement was my mother I was talking with her and you know at the time everybody was talking to me about plan b plan c go go to different colleges and she said well Paul like how how much do you want it do you believe this is where God wants you and and I thought about it I had been praying about that and then I was like I was like yeah this is where this is where God has me I don't I don't see any other path right now she's like okay well if you're not giving 100 percent to plan a um, then, or if you're given, if you're given, you know, even a percent of what you're doing to plan B and C, you're not giving a hundred percent to plan A. So I just took, took that and ran and gave a hundred percent to plan A and, and thank God that I'm here right now, um, working with some fantastic people in my occupation right now and, and in a really cool place, um, that I get to enjoy every day. So that's kind of what happened. Uh, is, is there were challenges after that that came about and it was a continuous cycle of challenges after that. But that's that's what occurred during that time when I first got notifications that that I could potentially get kicked out of the Naval Academy because of this medical condition.
you know, Paul, a couple of things back on football, you know, one of my most cherished memories of my athletic career was being selected captain by my coaches and team. And uh, you were not a, a 100% starter uh, on your team. You were a backup linebacker most of the time and played special teams, yet you were elected captain, which I think says an awful lot about Paul Carruthers. And I think one of the reasons that you got listed or got chosen was I remember um, you were playing the uh, Air Force Academy and your coach came to you and said, we're going to start you this week instead of being a backup linebacker. And uh, in that game, you had 12 tackles, which is phenomenal. And then the next week, your coach came to you and said, well, that was great, but now we're going to put the other guy back in just after you'd made 12 tackles. Tell us about that experience and, and you know, what his logic was and how you reacted to that. Well, yeah, that that was an awesome moment when you hear uh, your coach say, hey, I'm going to put you in. And, you know, you earned your your starting spot. Um, like you said, uh, a lot of my career, uh, I think of the word endurance. Um, I think of the the word of like jumping hurdles and all those all those uh, challenges that come with you know, mentally, spiritually, physically on what an athlete does to earn their spot. Um, yeah, starting with the first point where I wasn't a starter and I just kept pushing. And and uh, the reason I think I the reason I think I earned the position of captain there of co-captain with with three other uh, wonderful leaders was I was respected. Um, not everybody liked me. Um, and, and that's okay. Uh, I, I loved all my teammates, um, and wanted to exhibit that love, but I also was, uh, I had this innate passion to, to understand like what it might take to be successful in our goals and that was from that was from probably sophomore year on um i still remember the lessons you taught me jack uh and it's helped me speak to some of the players and people that i've mentored was being a get it or a winnable right. or a distractor um and that is still true to this day um and so one of my goals as i was going through the academy is like i'd love to get everybody to be a get it. It doesn't, like I said, it does, you, you may not be liked, but you get it. You understand what the goal in football is. You understand that having a tight team, it's like proven now that you have a team like, and not just a group of great athletic individuals. Um, you're going to, you're going to be successful or have a chance to be successful. And that's all we wanted as a senior class. So uh, anyways, I was respected by them. Um, we didn't all have all the same beliefs. We didn't all uh, understand each other 100% of the time. But what's really cool about uh, the people we had uh, my senior year was that they chose to listen. They chose to respect each other and understand or try and have empathy for what's going on or or also accountability. Like we didn't, we held each other very accountable uh, my senior year. And so... <clears throat> that respect led to 
the way we chose uh, our captains, which I thought our coaches are, we had a new coaching staff come in and they brought so much energy. They brought so much intentionality and purpose, loved it. And, um, and they just force multiplied the coaching staff, I believe that just made everybody better. And so they sat down everybody uh, in our uh, team meeting. And so, and, and gave out, you know, sheets of paper and they said, who do you want in your foxhole? And if people don't understand what a foxhole is, this is basically like a defensive or offensive sometimes um, hole in the ground that normally you would find four uh, Marines in. Um, you probably won't find a Navy person in there all the time, but <laughs> Marines. And so uh, they said, essentially, who would you want in your foxhole today? It's like, who are the four people you would want in your foxhole? And what that meant to us was, who do you want having your six, your nine, your three, and and your 12, right? And so those are just, you know, on a clock, right? But who do you want to have your back? Who do you want to have your, you know, your arms and support to the to the side of you? Who do you want in front of you? You know, like, it was pretty cool. It's like, who would you die with, right? Who would you Who would you want to die with or who would you want to fight with? Right. And so to me, that's what I kind of took it as. And it was very, very uh, meaningful. And so then they chose. And um, the, the first three guys, I was like, those those guys are going to be our leaders. And I was sitting there and I don't remember what I was thinking. But then Coach Newmont looked at me and said I was the, the fourth co-captain. Um, so it's pretty, uh, pretty, it was just an honor, honestly. And so it's been an awesome to meet those other captains throughout the years um, in the brotherhood. And then, you know, like you said, I was captain and did not start. Uh, I was the, I think the the third linebacker, right? So if the Mike linebacker went down or the Will linebacker went down, I was the next person. And <clears throat> I, I knew both positions. Um, I had them down. Obviously, when you're when you're in a play or when you're in practice, sometimes you forget whether you're tired or you know you just do your best. But uh, I wasn't I wasn't a starter. Then I got told I was starting, and I believe that was so seamless because of the way I chose to practice. I would say, uh, starting sophomore year, um, that was on me. I got to control what I could control as a non-starter. So I didn't look at it and complain about all, I was frustrated sometimes, don't get me wrong, I was down, um, but I don't remember complaining a whole lot. Uh, I just went to work. And I think that's something dad taught me. Uh, you just don't quit, you're committed to it, right? And and uh, you put in the work. So as I started putting the work, obviously I played the triple option a whole lot because uh, I was on the scout team. So. I actually would be uh, one of the disliked people on the scout team by the coaches and uh, the linemen specifically as a linebacker. And they would really dislike me as you, I, you made, as a, you made them work. You yeah. Made made work. Work. Exactly. So I, as I was making them work, I didn't realize that I was getting to know the triple option really well. I could really tell, you know, the linemen and what they would give me. Uh, and then even the quarterback steps, what that would give me. Uh, and I don't know how I saw all this. It just was natural. It was second nature. Um, and uh, I showed that. 
in practice. I showed that in spring going into my senior year. I showed that um, in uh, um, in our first practices uh, as we are starting up uh, the season. Um, and then I exhibited that in the week before we played Air Force. And I, I, I think I just made it clear that I was the best linebacker fit for playing that that kind of offense um at the time and and then yeah I'm so thankful that I had that practice and I didn't take an attitude of I'm never going to get my chance or uh, yeah I've had those doubts but I didn't I didn't choose to believe them all the time and I think that's the important thing is you may have thoughts and doubts and depressions but it's also a choice um, to believe those and and you know, I'd go into practice some days where I'd be like, ah, I don't know. And I didn't have a great day, but most days I would choose to uh, just try and get a little bit better and understand things a little bit better each and every day. Um, and so then I got to that game and played the way I did. And uh, it was awesome. I was so happy to play for my team. And that's how I felt like all the seniors were all of our teammates were below us as we were a team because I knew when I went out there, even the guys that I knew wanted to play that were under me, right. And wanted to be out there giving everything they had. They were my biggest fans. I had my family in the the stands, but I could, I would still say that the dudes on the field that I grinded with every day that I competed against, that we hit each other's heads all the time and, you know, worked and worked and worked and gave everything we had. They were my biggest fans out there, and I truly believe that. And they were the ones that got a jolt of energy when I made a sack against Air Force because they knew what we all had been through. I wasn't the only one who wasn't a starter. I wasn't the only one um, who had opportunities and missed them, you know, um, and and didn't get a chance until their senior season. Um, so that was amazing. Um, and then you're right. I went back to not being a starter again. Um, well, I, I think, I think, you know, when the coach said that, you know, you had 12 <clears throat> tackles, we're playing a different offense and we're going to put the other guy in for this one. You, you were specialized in other, you know, a lot of people could have dropped their head, but uh, that's not the Paul uh, that we know. And I think that's why uh, you were, you know, elected captain by your team. Uh, I've got a, just a couple of minutes here, but I want to, I want to talk about the army Navy game. I mean, that, what a, what a special event. Tell us about playing in that army Navy game. And I, and I do want to say something uh, ahead of time. Uh, the game day college game day uh, does a, a special at one event every, or one game every week. And they chose the army Navy game that year for you. And uh, they actually did in the morning show, Special on on Paul uh, about what he had gone through at the Naval Academy. So I thought, and I thought it was a great segment that they did. But tell us about Army Navy Week and game real quickly. Right, Army Navy Week is a lot of fun at either academy um, for those people who aren't practicing or preparing for the game. Uh, it's a lot of shenanigans uh, in good ways. Uh, a lot of people just a lot of smiles, uh, a lot of morale building. Um, so that's how the academies are. They have little pep rallies, or actually large pep rallies that the football team will participate in prior to the game. And it's an amazing, amazing week. Uh, 
it's one that I had been looking for ever since looking forward to um, while uh, committing to the academy. So every single year, you kind of built excitement as you're going to your first class senior year. And uh, then you're in it, right? Usually uh, Coach Nehemiah at the time would uh, would give us two weeks to prepare. I would set up the schedule so we would have two weeks to prepare for Army and, and win that game uh, because it was valuable to us to win the Commanders-in-Chief trophy. So if we had beaten Air Force and beaten Army, we would win that trophy. And that was all, always a part of our goals, right? Always, always a, a part of our goals. <clears throat> so that... You know, it's cold, right? Um, you're always cold, always cold. So you're um, if it's not, if it's not, it's it's pretty it's pretty fun. And in my year, it wasn't it wasn't really that cold, um, in my opinion, because we had played the year previous um, and it was very like crisp, cold. My sophomore year, it was snowing, cold. Um, and then, uh, yeah, but. Anything over the Northeast and most most times at that year, <laughs> at the time of year is cold, right? Um, so anyways, practice is, is hard, you know? Like we are getting after it. There is no stopping. Uh, you get you get a quick water break. Um, I, I, we're obviously intentional with that, but you just, you yourself are, are quick. You yourself are thinking quickly. You're intense. Um, but then sometimes you're just very relaxed and having a really nice time uh, uh, preparing. Um, and I know that may sound counterintuitive, but it it gets intense. And then you're like, oh, well, I gave everything I had. I kind of can just just, you know, uh, relax my mind a little bit. So practice tough. Right. You know what you're going to get by your senior year. You know what it's going to be. You know you're going to pick these specific players to focus on, you know, that, that army, in my case, army is going to always have something different. If you see, if you watch any of those games, um, they always line up. Uh, most times the first uh, drive that they may have offensively something different, maybe kind of does the same thing. It's pretty similar stuff to the triple option. They just try and make it look different. Right. Um, so it's a during practice, we're so focused on our keys. I think my uh, coach Volker would pat me on the back and give me a hug for saying that word. Um, but he he drove it into uh, our DNA, essentially, to focus on your keys and your keys will take you to the ball. And so um, we just would focus on our jobs. That was our main focus um, almost every week. But particularly against the army and um, we would do our jobs and we would win right the team that does their job the best and holds on to the ball will always win that game so that's like the practice portion and then you're so excited when you uh, are on are on the traveling squad and you are taking a a plane you know up to philly um, and I know it's in different places uh, now, or you're taking a bus to Baltimore, which is like my freshman year. Um, and it was just amazing um, to be a part of such patriotism. I mean, the, the football team didn't really get to see all the 
everything that happened right before the you miss all the hoopla yeah there is there is so much happening i mean there are a lot of high-ranking officials there there are um bands you know playing of all kinds and sorts and uh so many fun um little stands that you can go to in the stadium uh and the reason i saw that is you know because maddie would be there my family would be there those kinds of um people who would text me a little bit before the game and give me encouragement. So super cool. The flyover is my favorite. Um, and they have the, you know, army elements, air platforms fly over. Then they have Navy uh, platforms uh, fly over and it's just an amazing time. Uh, and it's so incredible. Like the, the two student bodies will cheer against each other and have a good time while they're doing it. But it's so funny because, when you have a moment to take a breath on the field during the game, you notice that the fans are cheering. Some of them are cheering for one or the other side, but most of them are cheering for both. And yeah. so it's kind of, uh, it's just kind of uh, a new feeling because as you're going through high school or, you know, the cheerleaders, the fans, everybody's cheering for your team. And then the other one is cheering for the other side, but there. Uh, it was really special because you got cheered for really no matter what you did sometimes. And so it was really cool. That game is, that game is on my, my bucket list. I wish it wasn't quite so so cold. Well, we're going to need to close. We need to close here, but I want to close with a story uh, about Paul. I received a call from Paul a few years ago and he said he was going to ask a young lady uh, to be married. And I asked him, what took you so long? And, and the reason that I asked him that uh, was because Paul and his and Maddie, his now bride, had met during our Ideals Leadership Program. And I could tell that, you know, that they were getting pretty serious about themselves. Well, after the proposal, I get a call from both Paul and Maddie on the line and asked, you know, would I, you know, come and be at their wedding? And I said, oh, of course I would. And they said, well, no, we don't want you to come. We want you to officiate the wedding. We want you to marry us. And I said, well, I'm honored and I'm floored but with that request. But I said, there's only one problem. You know, I'm not a minister. And they said, figure it out and be there and hung up. And uh, <laughs> and I, I found out that if you're 13 years of old, 13 years of age, you can actually marry somebody. And so I did. And it was a beautiful wedding at an incredible uh, setting out in the country and such an honor to be a part of it. And so, Paul, thank you. And, and Maddie, again, for that privilege. And Paul, I, listen, I want to thank you for breaking away from defending our country for a few minutes to uh, share your incredible story with us. And also the fact that you got up at 530 in the morning in Hawaii to to uh, tape this for us. And personally, I'm just so proud of the man that you've become and know that you're going to continue to make a tremendous impact on all those that you serve with during your naval career. Just, just keep being you. Keep being Paul. Yes, sir. It's a privilege and honor to just be asked questions by Jack. I mean, from being my mentor, um, from the you know high school on, um, and then being a part of the most special day of my life. One of them, uh, I'm I'm hoping there will be many, but that one specifically, um, just being a part of that and being willing to do that for us, uh, it was special for both of us. And then you made it happen, and, and we appreciate that. Um, and thank you for all the love and care that you've showed us. So 
Thanks for that. You're, you're a special couple. Well, folks, listen, thanks again for uh, spending time with us today as we visited with Paul. I, I hope that you'll join us next week as we once again spend time with another interesting guest. And until then, make sure that you're focusing your efforts on being a positive influence in the lives of others. <laughs>